This week, the attack on the Egyptians intensifies as the level of individual suffering for the people increases as yet another powerful God will fall before the hand of Almighty God in our message titled, The Suffering of Sin. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for this opportunity to come to your house and, Lord, to hear your word. And, uh, Lord, I know that you have spoken to me, and I'm asking you, Father, that you would now speak through me. Uh, Lord, that uh, I can remove the human element and the Lord's uh, that I would choose. I would ask God that you please take them from me. If I'm going to add to the message, Lord, uh, take it away. Lord, if you're going to uh, lead me in a direction, Father, I pray that you help me to be willing to follow whatever you lead. Uh, Lord, this today is not about anyone but you. And uh, Father, we want this message to exalt your name and Lord, to speak to your people. And we thank you for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, the suffering of sin. Last week we saw the Egyptians, the livestock, suffer because of the, the disease that came upon them, okay? Um, the attack we're about to witness against these, uh, against the, the is, a, is more of a, a, a towards the actual physical well being of the Egyptian people. And this time disease is going to strike a lot closer to home, okay? The Egyptians recognized the miraculous nature of the body to heal itself. They were able to see this in nature. We see this in our own bodies. We're amazed. You know, we talked about a couple weeks ago the fact that if you cut yourself, a doctor couldn't even couldn't even heal a skin knee if it weren't for the system that God designed of the healing process that the body goes through, okay? So this miraculous process they were able to witness was something that was, was amazing enough for them to actually do what they normally did, which was attribute it to a god or a goddess, okay? And so we're going to recognize the powerful goddess Isis. Uh, she had many responsibilities in the Egyptian culture uh, as well as their everyday life, and she was actually the goddess of health and of healing, healing, okay? So we have a couple, I have a picture of her I'm going to show you to you, which she was pictured in here. So this is Isis the great healer, okay? We have another one I'll show you. These are hieroglyphs and images taken from, these. some of these are four or five thousand years old. And then we have a last image here. This is going to show you Isis and the Hathor that we talked about last week, them two pictured together. So let's take a look at the way this attack on this goddess is going to manifest itself in Exodus chapter Number nine, verse number eight, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, Take to you handfuls of ashes of the furnace, and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. So Pharaoh needs to see this, okay? Notice he talks about, he says here, it is the furnace. He's very specific in regards to saying the furnace. More than likely, this would have been one of the furnaces that they would actually used in firing the bricks that the Egyptians constantly had them building and working upon. So the Israelites had put tremendous amount of effort and energy into building these bricks. And I'm going to show you, I got a, there's an image of one there. So this is a recreation of what it would have looked like. You're going to see the next image. They're going to fill this area in here with all the wood and all those things like that to fire this thing up and to keep it continually going. So there would be ash readily available at the base of this. And it says here that you're going to reach in there. He's going to take that ash and he's going to throw it up in the air. Okay. So we consider what a furnace is and what its purpose is. Uh, it does two things. Um, first, it is for refining. You'll see this in Proverbs 17.3, uh, Proverbs 27.21, Ezekiel 22.18, Psalm 12.6, and in Isaiah 31.9, we see the process of refining, where it's taking things and refining gold or silver, and also talks about refining the individual. And then it's also for destroying. We see this in Daniel 3. Verses 22 and 23, where you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be placed into the furnace to be destroyed. Matthew 13, 42 and 13, 50 talk about the fact of that furnace, talking about it, the, uh, the, one, the, the one that's going to be held, the great furnace, and also in Revelations 9, 2 for destruction. We'll see that the furnace in this text is actually going to symbolize judgment. Okay? Judgment. So hang on to that thought. Hang on to judgment. Okay? Now let's consider the ashes, right? What are ashes, right? We all kind of know what it is. The definition is this, a powdery substance that remains after a material has been fully expended and disintegrated by fire. 
So the burning process has depleted all of the energy, all the value out of whatever it is that's been burned, and all that's left is this worthless residue, which is ash, okay? Biblically, ashes are a picture of humility, absolute humility. I'm going to show you a scripture here. Uh, if you look back in Mordecai, Mordecai in Esther chapter number 4 is a great example of the ashes here. It says, Esther in chapter 4, verse number 1, When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out in the midst of the city and cried out with a loud and a bitter cry. Just a broken man. It's a picture of humility. So we see the furnace, which we see as a picture of judgment. We see the ashes, which is a picture of humility. We'll also see examples of that in 2 Samuel 13, 19, Jeremiah 6, 26, Isaiah 44, 20, and Hosea 12, 1. Okay? So he says, look, you're going to gather up these handfuls of these ashes, and you're going to throw them up in the air, sprinkle them up towards heaven, and what's going to happen here? So take note here that there is no warning. Now, before he'd come before and he'd sort of warn him and said, look, if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. This time, there is no warning. He goes out and Moses, when he casts the stuff up in the air, the people are going to see it and Pharaoh is going to see it at the exact same time. So when this starts to come, it's going to be in that moment. Verse number nine, it says, and it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt, God says, and shall be a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Okay. So the ashes, which are from these, probably from these brick furnaces, right? Now, what's interesting about this ash this ash is a result of the hardship that the Israelites suffered, right? They were literally beaten for the sake that they were going to make these things. So this ash is literally a picture of suffering. And wouldn't it be just like God to take the ashes that was the suffering that was inflicted upon the Israelites and take those same ashes and use it to bring suffering against their slave masters, right? Now. The ash will become dust, it says. If you remember back in our, in our message two weeks ago, which was the finger of God, what do we find out dust? What does it represent? Damnation, right? Okay, so dust represents damnation. So dust. Now, so we could say basically damnation is in the air. He casts it up in the air and it becomes small dust and starts to settle. Damnation is in the air. So the other plagues have all presented uh, personal issues to a point. We had no water because of the blood. Then they had the frogs, which frogs in your bed, frogs in your pantry, frogs all over your body. Um, lice, right? That's a yummy one, right? Lice, another nasty one. Then flies, the, the disease and, and the filth that comes along with the flies. Then the dead cattle, okay? So each one of these would have been an attack in different areas. It would have attacked them financially, emotionally, physically and financial or and spiritually, okay? But this one's going to be intensely personal. This is going to become them. Ephesians 5:29 says this, "For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church." So we think about our flesh, talking about cherishing our flesh. Think about when when we consider the fact that we care for ourselves, when you when there's broken glass around you, right? Something falls and shatters, you don't run towards it. You jump away, right? When there's a flame, you don't walk up and try to touch the flame, right? We, we constantly avoid danger because we want to protect our flesh. We don't want to experience pain. And so what he's saying is, look, look, bottom line is, this is an important part of who we are. We all value our flesh. So all the other plagues had external forces that attacked them, but this one is going to come from the inside. It's a different attack. The Egyptians' own bodies will betray them, and ISIS will be revealed to be powerless. If anyone's ever experienced having serious illness before, that's a scary thing. When you get a diagnosis or hear something that you weren't prepared for, that's a frightening, frightening thing. External troubles can be evaluated and measured, but internal issues can be much more frightening because of the unknown. There are a few things that are more humbling 
than finding out that you have a physical illness or finding out something is very, very wrong with you. Remember back in verse 9, it said this, And it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt and shall be a boil breaking forth with blains. This plague is within their own flesh, within their flesh. Now, guess what? We have an issue as well, a plague within our flesh. Every single one of us. It's a disease that like lurks inside of us. Mark 7, verses 15 through 23 says this, There is nothing from without a man that entered into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he has, and when he has entered into the house of the, uh, from, the, from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable, and he said unto them, Are ye without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever things, whatever thing from without entered into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out in the draft, purged as all meats. So look, it's just food. Things you eat, they're not going to defile you, but what comes out? Verse 20, and he said, That which come out of the man, it's that which come out of the man that defileth the man. For, it says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed all, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Notice here it says proceeds evil thoughts. Each of these actions is a thought ever before it becomes an action. People go, I couldn't control myself. I couldn't control myself. It was a thought. You thought it, and then you may decided to take an action, okay? We have David. Remember, David's a great example of this, right? David, when he looked out and he saw Bathsheba, and he saw her out, and he's like, man, look at her. He had a choice. He could look away, but the Bible says that he looked back and he lingered on her. And then he allowed that thought to fester inside of him. The next thing you know, it took action. And then it led to destruction. That's always the case. And then verse number 20 says, All these evil things come from within and defile the man. So the same plague we see coming out on the surface is the same thing that's inside of us. Romans 3. Uh, so our plague is a, is a plague of sin. Theirs was physical, ours is sin. Romans 3, verses 9 through 12 says this, What then are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles, meaning all people, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. We all struggle with the exact same issue. Amen. If you say you have no sin, the Bible says you're a liar. Amen. You're lying as you, you're, I'm telling you, man. The key is the fact that we have the same issue we all struggle with, and our flesh is something that we battle against, but it is within us, and we have to be mindful of it. We've got to be aware of the fact that it exists. You can't live in denial of this issue. So we see damnation settle on the earth. You know what? It settled back on the earth way back in Genesis 3, in the fall of man. That's where it all began. Pharaoh and the Egyptians will see the dust cloud and they'll witness it before they ever see or feel a boil. They're going to see it first. It's really, really easy to recognize sin externally. How many of us are really good at pointing out wrong, something was wrong with other people? <laughs> you need to do this. And you know what else your problem is. I mean, you never this and you never that. We always use those never and never. You know, don't use those words. Those are not nice. They're bound to do it every once in a while. They're bound to be good, at, right? <laughs> you always and you never. Those are things that's not usually good to use in a representative when you're going to make an argument, right? But what happens is we, it's easy to see it in them, right? It's very easy. 
but it's also really to see it in our society. We can sit back and complain about our culture, but not look within ourselves. And it's hard sometimes to look in the mirror and go, you know what? What am I doing pointing out anybody else's issues? I need to be focused here. I need to be working on, on me, paying attention to what it is that we fight, right? But there are these things, guess what? They exist within us. If we have sin that's, that's, uh, that's in there, it's just a matter of time before it will reveal itself and it will come to the surface. The boils that he's talking about, they're a representation of suffering. Suffering. Here's the probably most famous biblical example of boils in the Bible, right? Job. Job chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 says, So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. Suffering. And he took him pot shards to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes, humbled in humility, broken, scraping the boils because it itches and it burns. And it says that these are bursting forth, is what it said in the scripture, for these, these bursting forward. The suffering that we would see in these boils would be torturous and inescapable. Verse number 10, And they took ashes of the furnace, Moses and Aaron, and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven, and it became a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. The suffering that the Egyptians had inflicted upon the Israelites is now showing up in their own flesh. Damnation, or the dust, right, settles on man and beast and begins to swell and to burst on their skin. This suffering is a result of the sin against God, their sin against God, and their sin against God's people, okay? Now, if we were to track this back and we were to think about this, what would be the, the cause, what would be the root of all of these issues? What would be this cause or the root of this suffering? What single thing could be linked back to the Egyptians? But guess what also linked to us? There is one thing, one thing in particular. It's a rebellious spirit, rebellion. Rebellion, 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 fed by pride, rebellion. Spirit of rebellion that is poised, that has poisoned Pharaoh's heart. It is the same spirit of rebellion that caused Adam and Eve to rebel against God. And it is the same spirit of rebellion that feeds our pride and causes us to have a separation between us and God. Rebellious spirit. And it leads us into sinful actions. It is a result of it. Rebellion leads to sinful actions. Isaiah 59.2 says this, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Right? But how does our sinful behavior relate to these boils, right? Let's make a comparison. First, let's consider the boils. They come from a problem within that is not visible at first. They are the indicator that the internal trouble is no longer contained. They reveal to the world that there is a deeper issue at hand. They are the external evidence of internal suffering. They cause pain and discomfort, and without a healing, there is no escape, right? Now, we consider sin. It, becomes, it comes from a problem within that is not visible at first. It is the indicator that the internal trouble is no longer contained. It reveals to the world that there is a deeper issue at hand. It is the external evidence of internal suffering. It causes pain and discomfort without healing from him. There is no escape. When a person's life is consumed with sin, we can see the evidence of it. It reveals itself. Matthew 7, verses 18 and 20 says this, A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. 
every tree that bringeth not good forth, a forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Your life will indicate your heart. The way we live our lives, the things that we do, the way we deal with adversity is a direct relation or a relation to our hearts. If, our, if we're struggling with sin and we're having a hard time with it, guess what? We can hear the, the message in church. We can read something and have it speak to our hearts. But there's a difference between receiving it and applying it. Because so many times we can say, you know what? I know what I should do, but I don't do it. If you don't apply what you hear and you learn from the word, you may as well not hear it. And you may as well not learn it. The whole goal is for us to take action. And God's saying, look, recognize. Recognize. While at the same time there are those struggling with sin, but the fruit has not revealed itself yet. Just be aware of the hidden sin. Guess what? It's no better than revealed sin. It's still sin. Just because the evidence isn't apparent to the world yet, doesn't make it any less wrong, right? In fact, hidden sin is a poison that is inexorably working its way to the surface. The torment of it will only continue to grow. And it may not have broken forth yet, but guess what? That day is coming. Because hidden sin always works its way to the surface, no matter how long we may want to hide it. And when it does reveal itself, guess what? It can be absolutely crippling. Verse number 11. And the, magician, and the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boil was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. So again, we see there's a separation here. The Egyptians are the ones that are inflicted with this, not the Israelites, only the Egyptians. Right? This will be the last time, and notice this, this will be the last time we're going to see the magicians. They're going to disappear. The support that Pharaoh had in those, young, in those men there is going to be gone. Physical suffering can be very, a very humbling thing. There are probably some of us here that potentially it might have taken a physical crisis to get you to a point where you actually could understand a need for the Lord. Amen. Some people got to realize that their mortality has got to be placed before them before they go, you know what, I will relent. They will rebel and rebel and rebel and rebel until it comes to a point where they go, you know what, it's out of my control, right? Praise the Lord that he uses things like that, right? There are people like us, we, that was us. Our desire, God's desire is to have a relationship with us. He wants to know us, right? He wants us to be humbled before him. 1 Timothy 2, 4, and 5 says this, Who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. God wants a relationship with us. He's working to build a relationship with us constantly and consistently through love. Now, will he use tough times and tough situations sometimes at, at certain times in our lives? Yes. Because you and I need to be humbled, right? We, with our relationship with God, it's either, he's either our creator or he's our father. And I'm guaranteeing you, he wants to be our father. That is the relationship that he burns for in his heart. But because of our rebellion, we put the division between God. But he's reaching out to us, reaching out to us. And he will use anything at his disposal to break through that rebellious spirit. And there are people that we've heard stories of and people that we may have known They've reached a point in their life where literally their life is in the balance. And they're still holding on to that rebellion. And God is allowing things to happen in their life to bring them to a point of an understanding 
not because he wants to hurt them, not because he wants them to suffer, but because he loves them and he knows how hard-hearted they might be. And it's the stubborn rebellion of humanity that causes so much of our issues in life. Our sinfulness is an indicator of that rebellion. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Right? Sin always carries consequences. It always carries suffering. Always. Maybe not right away, but it'll always show up. Eternal consequences are to be uh, are, are easily recognized because guess what? That's an eternal separation from God. Bottom line is, eternally speaking, if someone will not turn to Him, if they will not receive Christ, if they will stay rebellious to their very last day, they will open their eyes in a place called hell. We don't want that for anyone. But that was their choice to be separated from Him. He's reaching out in love. The short term, the, 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 the temporal consequences are suffering. There are people that have been restored or taken out of, let's say they had a drug addiction, right? And they get out of that drug addiction, but they'll find that there are physical things that are left behind because of the choices that they've made. And there are sufferings always related to sin. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. God allows suffering not to hurt us, but to bring us to a point of surrender that we can realize our need of Him. There is no experience more humbling, like I said, than to come face to face with one's mortality. The reality that life could be over like this. The Bible warns us again and again. It says it is but a vapor. It appeareth for a short time, and then it vanishes away. And everybody believes we have tomorrow, we have tomorrow, we have tomorrow. And the older you get, <laughs> the more we begin to realize there really is a bit of a vapor. Because time doesn't speed up necessarily, but your perspective changes. Because when you're one year old, hey, a year is a long time. That's your whole lifetime. Six, that's a sixth of your life. But you're 50, a year is a 50th of your life. Your perspective gets shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. Who's ever, you remember like in the summertime, you know, sometimes summer lasted forever when you were a kid. How many notice the summer's like that now? And the older we get, the faster it goes, man. The quicker it's like, boom, holy moly. I can't believe, it's my birthday again? How did that happen? Jeepers. <laughs> How did they get so big? You see your kids, you're like, you know, you'll see somebody's kids, you haven't seen them for a little while, and you see them, you're like, what, he's driving? I thought he was like seven. That's unbelievable. <laughs> it is amazing. But that's the way it is, man. Life is that way, and life will go by so quickly. Before we know it, it will be past. And there are people that are holding on to that rebellious spirit even today as they face their mortality. And that's a scary place to be. But the good news is that God loves them in the spite of their rebellion. And that's the beautiful thing is the fact that God loved Adam and Eve in spite of their rebellion. Yes, he had to put them out of, out of the garden. Yes, he had to do what he had to do. And death entered into the world, but it was their choice. And what you find throughout the entire scriptures is God's trying to restore, 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 restore. And broken people with all of our issues and all of our troubles and all of our struggles want to blame God for our circumstance and situations when God is actually the solution to every problem, 
every situation and any issue. And it was, like I said before, you can know that here, but if you don't apply what you know, you may as well not know it. It's actually better for you not to know it because you can become cold to the Word of God. You can hear the truth again and again and again and again, and it can come to a point in time where you don't hear it anymore. It's like a water off a duck's back, man. Oh, yeah, God's love. Yeah, 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 I know all about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those are the people you know that know they're like, they tell you all about that. Oh, I've read the Bible. I know all about it. Yeah. They can discuss it with you. They can quote scripture to you. They may know it better than you do. But the problem they have is they don't apply it. Unapplied knowledge may as well not be existing. You may as well not have it. But if the people that you know, who maybe they have a rudimentary understanding of the scripture, but buddy, buddy, I'm telling you, they walk by faith. And they say, God, do great and mighty things in their lives. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to trust God. You don't have to know all the scripture to trust God. You can have, the Bible says, it takes the faith of a child, a willingness to believe. That's what it talks about in being our father, man. He wants us as children to come to him. Say, Lord, I trust you. I don't know all the answers. I'm scared. I don't know why I'm in this situation. I would never choose this. But I trust you. I trust you. And I'm going to put my life in your hands because you know what's best for me. And you'll direct me and you'll guide me. And even in the midst of this time that I'm scared to death, I'm going to walk by faith, not not by sight, and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. We see a beautiful picture of that when Peter's walking on the water, right? When Peter's walking on the water, when he steps out, man, he may as well be stepping on ground, man. He's walking. Walking on water. And the Bible says as long as he's walking on the water looking at Jesus and that's where his focus is, he's walking just like he's walking on the ground. But the Bible says that the wind and the waves are blowing. And he begins to take his focus off of the Lord. And as soon as he notices his surroundings, and he's no longer walking by faith, and he's walking by sight, the Bible says that instantly he sinks. Whoosh! And the great news is that God's there immediately to get him. He says, Father, he says, Lord, save me. And the Bible says the word immediately. He snatches him and he stands him up. And what you'll notice if you go back and read that scripture, the waves do not stop whenever they stand up. It says that the waves stop when they get back in the boat. So what Jesus is saying, you know what? In the midst of this storm, boy, let me hold you. And I don't care how big these wind and how strong the waves are, it is irrelevant because I am with you. And you know what? You're safe. And the beautiful thing is, as soon as they step back in the boat, then all of a sudden it's like, calm. But Peter stood in the midst of those same rough waters, holding the hand of the Lord, standing on hard surface. And that's you and I, man. Life is going to go up and down. You're going to find yourself sinking some days and floating other days. You're going to be crying out for pray and praise one day and calling out in mercy, God, please. That's a part of this life, man. But if it weren't for adversity, you wouldn't have to trust God. If it weren't for adversity, we wouldn't have to lean on Him. The whole goal, He says, cast your cares upon me before I careth for you. He says, look, I know you've got worries. I know you've got problems. I know you've got struggles. I'm just asking you to give them to me instead of carrying them yourself. Because if you want to carry them, the weight of them will bring you to your knees. And when you reach a point in time where you feel like you're going to be crushed, if you'll call out to me, guess what I'll do? I'll lift that burden off you. The whole time I was willing to do it, by the way, just waiting on you. But I got it. 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 
I don't got it, God. <laughs> and then he's like, I got it. It's good. Learning to trust him in the midst of adversity. When our life and our, our mortality is introduced uh, and we look at the, the shortness of life, it sometimes will allow us to finally realize we need him. So as the furnace of God's judgment refines us by destroying our self-importance and bringing us to the point of humility or ashes, then the damnation, dust, of our sinful lives is revealed to us in the form of suffering, boils. It's at this point of revelation we get to make a choice, right? Will we turn to God and experience freedom and that love and the joy that we were created to experience? Or do we choose to stay in our suffering? Do we hold on to our sin because we think it's of such great value? I just can't stop. I just can't. I just can't. I just can't. Guess what? You can. You're right. You can't. But God can. Amen. If you're struggling with something, I don't care what if it's an addiction, whatever it is. God can. God can. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever sin is in your life, whatever frustrating thing, if it's, if it's bitterness, if it's, a, if it's, a, if it's a, a, a unforgiveness, I just can't let it go. You're right. You can't, but God can allow you to do it. Amen. When I carried bitterness towards my dad, it ate me up for years and years and years and years and years. And it burned me inside, and it was a poison. And you know what? It did surface periodically. My kids, my wife, other people, inanimate objects. Boy, they were in trouble. <laughs> Tools sometimes. Shh. Launch them across the yard, right? Working on a project and then destroying it at the end because you get frustrated. That was me, man. I had all this pent-up rage because of this unforgiveness that was deep within me. And if I was unwilling to deal with it, guess what? It was working its way to the surface, and those boils would break forth, and I would explode. And then I'd repent, and I'd be like, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But I wasn't giving it to him. I was self-control. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Me, me, me. And it wasn't to the point where I finally realized the fact that, you know what? If you just give it to God, He can change your heart. And that was the key. That was the moment. That was the, that was the magic moment. Because my heart changed from wanting bad against Him and revenge against Him to pity and love and compassion. And when you take the thing that you hate and you finally have compassion upon yourself, perhaps, on your family members, those that are being affected by it. Because you can hide it as much as you want, but it will show up in someone else's life eventually. That stuff I had in my heart, guess what? It worked its way into my relationship with my wife and my kids. And if not for ourselves, let's do it for them. Amen. Take it to God. He says, look, you can have freedom and walk away with this and, and live and give. Let me handle it. Or you can choose to keep it as your own. You get to choose. And look at this last verse. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had spoken unto Moses. With the exit of the magicians, guess what? Pharaoh is on his own from here on out. And it comes down to a battle of wills. Pharaoh against God. And see, when it comes down to our relationship with the Lord... It's exactly the same thing. 
It's a battle of wills. Will we submit to God? Not because he beats us and he wants wants to control us, but because he loves us, right? I don't submit to the Lord because because I'm scared of him. I submit to him because I love him and I recognize his love for me. What an amazing relationship we can have. Not full of animosity and frustration and doubt and all those things, but just to simply trust. Trust. If you have someone in your life that you absolutely trust, praise God for that. Because there are a lot of people in this world, a lot of people outside this door, they don't trust anybody. They've been hurt by everyone they've ever known. There are young people that were betrayed when they were small children. And the very person that they trusted more than anybody else, their parents, betrayed them. And they've been broken from a very early age. But there's one father that will never betray them. He'll always be there. And he'll always love them. And he'll always be forgiving and understanding and comforting. And that's the one we need to introduce them to. Amen. That's why there's a burden, should be a burden on our hearts to talk to people outside of this room. That's why there should be a burden to share the truth of the gospel. But guess what? If you haven't, if you're not living it yourself, it's hard to share something that you're not living. If you're not experiencing this freedom, if you're not experiencing that joy, it's hard to feel the burden to talk to someone else when you're fearful for yourself. It's a scary thing, man. They need help. And it's not us. It's Him. We're representations of Christ. We have an opportunity in this world to be used by Him to change the world one life at a time. And Satan does not want it to happen. And he wants to use our rebellion to put a wall between us and God. You can be saved and have rebellion in your life. Absolutely. And it's not until we apply what we know to be true and we give it to God, truly give things to God, that we can be free. And whatever it is, man, if you're struggling with that unforgiveness, man, you got bitterness in your heart, let it go. Because not only is it hurting you and hurting the people around you, it's hurting people out there that we've never talked to. Because you're not embracing the Lord like you should. Your walk's not as strong as it could be. Because I'm telling you what, when you're on fire for God, it's hard to keep your mouth shut. I'm telling you, it's hard, man. Somebody talks about something going on in their life and you're like, Ooh, I, I, you know what? My life was once like that, but you know what? I met God, and my, you know, I'm, I'm just, we just start going, man. If you ever hang around me and my wife, we're, wherever we are, that is gonna, it's just going to bubble out of us, man. We can't stop talking about the Lord because God is just so good to us. He's just so sweet to us. And when you recognize it and you appreciate it, man, it becomes an everyday part of who you are. And you can't help but have it bubble out of you. Let your light so shine, man. It should come out of your face, out of your words, out of your attitude. Everything about you should, re- should resonate God. But those, the whether or not it is, is up to us. Because God's love is intense and is 100% right now on you. His forgiveness is intense and 100% on you right now. Everything is 100%, 100%, 100%, 100%, man. He's pouring it out towards you. He's not holding anything back. The difference is us. How much are we allowing in? How much of a filter are we putting between us and God, which is the rebellion that's in our lives? When we let go of that stuff and we drop that, all of a sudden you feel this unbelievably intense love and you go, oh my gosh. <gasps> oh. If you've ever experienced it, you go through a certain, something in your life, right? And you finally reach a point in time when you, man, you just, you really, you got a day where you just, man, you're all, you're a hold of God and you're like, woo, man, God is good. Man, God is good. You know what I'm saying? You're just like, 
You feel like you just like you feel like you explode. And then it can be two days later, you're like, <sighs> Well, I'm alive. He hasn't changed. We have. We're the problem. So we look at these boils, these things are within us. Guess what, man? We need to get rid of them. We need to straighten up our relationship with God. We'll acknowledge our sinfulness before God and open our hearts to his love. Or we'll be like Pharaoh and stubbornly rebel against God and instead choose the suffering of sin. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that you are so good. And Lord, that you love us even in the midst of our worst moments. You still love us. And it's 100% all the time. God, do you want to restore us? You want to forgive us? Lord, do you want to use us for your glory? And we look at ourselves and we go, oh my gosh, but I'm so unworthy. And you say, you know what? You're not worthy, but I am. And I want to use you. Help us, Lord, to be vessels that, Lord, are not rebellious, that are not fighting against the will of God, but, Lord, embracing your truth. That, Lord, we might be able to live a life free of the boils, free of the pain. Lord, that we recognize that there is damnation in this world. There is no doubt about that. But God, we can be a bright light into the darkness as people suffer in the midst of that damnation. They are separated from you because of their sin. But God, you are a God of restoration. And Lord, you want to restore them with a forgiving heart. On a broken heart on the cross, Lord, you said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that was speaking into eternity, speaking into the future those that right now are standing in opposition of you. And you tell us, God, that you love them. And it's our job to love them as well. Ask you, Lord, to help us to surrender our will to yours. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what? I've got struggles. I'm dealing with stuff right now in my own life. And I want to make it right. It's not a matter of going through a procedure. It's not a matter of just in this church deciding, well, I'm going to do this. It's a matter of simply applying what God has taught us, which is the fact that He wants to restore us and He loves us. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I want to make things right with God. Do it today. Draw a line in the sand and don't cross back. Today is the day that I'm going to make this change for the Lord and I'm going to trust Him like I've never trusted Him before and today when I walk out of here I'm going to leave that sin behind and I'm going to live for my Savior and embrace the relationship that He has for me. Pray for one another. Let's support one another. There's a body we have to work together to defeat an enemy that wants to destroy us. He hates you. He hates me. He hates this church and He hates God. But greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. We have the power of God on our side. And the only thing we've got to worry about is our own personal rebellion. Let's break through and trust him like never before. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I've never received Christ as my savior. I don't have a relationship with God. I have lived a rebellious life all this time, but I'm tired of it. I want freedom. I want to be out of the burden of this sin that has beset me for so long. And I want to have a relationship with God and truly understand what love is. 
The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're online, wherever you are, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, you have an opportunity today. It's not a magic prayer. It's, nothing, it's not a matter of anything except for faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God, by grace, is reaching out to you today. And all he's asking is that you will take his hand by faith and become his child. In order to do that, I'm going to lead you in prayer. You have an opportunity to pray in your mind, in your heart. This is between you and him. But I'm telling you right now, he intensely loves you and wants a relationship with you more than you could possibly know. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ today as your Savior, just simply say, I'm, I'm tired and I'm ready for that relationship. I'm going to lead you in prayer. It's not the words of the prayer that will do anything for you, but the intention of your heart. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and your mind, speaking to God, Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and that I've done plenty of things wrong. I've hurt others, I've hurt myself, and I've hurt you, and I'm so sorry. I'm asking you today to forgive me of my sins, to pay my sin debt, and give me a home in heaven. Please come into my heart and save my soul. Lord, I will see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.